electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber and Morgan Brennan Kramer as the morning off. Futures are adding to some gains as May jobs comes in 559,000. That's a bit below consensus, but nearly double the April figure. Unemployment down to 5.8 or 5.9 and wages up 2% year on year. Our roadmap begins with May jobs and solid gains, boosting confidence in the comeback. We'll get to the first reaction from the Biden White House this hour. Plus, Bill Ackman's blank check company, Pershing Square, confirms talks to buy a 10 percent stake in Universal Music Group. It's also going to go on to seek separate business combinations. I can't begin to tell you how complex this potential deal is, Morgan. I cannot wait to hear you break it down. (laughs) The meme stock madness continues. Meantime, AMC shares are lower again this morning ahead of the open. This is the movie theater chain looks to sell 25 million more shares. Carl. Guys, got to jump into the jobs number here. Obviously, a bit below consensus of 671. Whisper was a little above that, guys. Restaurants added uh, almost one in every three jobs added at 186,000. Question will be, David, whether or not this... Uh, is what the Fed considers substantial progress. Yeah, I mean, uh, wage growth, where we have average hourly earnings jumping 0.5. That's month on month, right? And that is double, I believe, the estimate, uh, Morgan, which was around 0.2. We had a 0.7 rise in April. Uh, You know, leisure and hospitality workers obviously are coming back into the workforce. But again, inflation is what we're going to continue to talk about, and this idea of whether, in fact, it is transitory, or not is the debate that continues to roil the markets, particularly as people look towards the second half of this year. Yeah, absolutely. And we start to see those average hourly earnings numbers tick up the way we are. And then you couple that, I I think, with the fact that this number came in while much stronger than than the month prior, was weaker than economists were forecasting. I think it really speaks to uh, this debate we've been having, this discussion we've been having with so many CEOs and entrepreneurs on our air about how tight the labor market actually is or isn't, how easy or not easy uh, in many cases it is for companies to actually find the workers they need. Uh, And it goes right back, Carl, to that discussion around Fed policy that we just we just kicked this hour off with. That's something we'll be talking about in the next hour, too, uh, with a certain Fed official as well. Yeah, we'll talk to the labor secretary, labor force participation, guys. Uh, not necessarily the number you'd like to see, down a tenth. Yeah. Uh, wages for non-supervisory up 6-8 uh, annual rate for the month, David. I mean, there had been some hope, at least, that people would know, look, my benefits are going to be ending basically in 9 to 12 weeks. I better get in before there's a mad crush of resumes on the market. But it's just happening a, a little bit slower than the street expected. Yeah, well, slower than many had anticipated. And, of course, there's that continued debate about uh, how many people are staying on the sidelines because they are receiving benefits. Although, to your point, it's uh, not that much longer. You may want to start to think about reentering the workforce. And there certainly do seem to be uh, jobs aplenty in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Listen, we did we lost, what, 22.4 million jobs uh, March and April of, of 2020. We've added back 14.8 million 
Um, thanks to Peter Bookvar for his quick note here, which helps in, uh, in cutting through some of this stuff. So, you know, Morgan, we're still 7.6 million jobs below where we were. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there is an expectation that many of those jobs will start to uh, be filled because they're available as people do come back into the workforce. Now, it's not just the benefit. It's also child care. And as vaccines, thankfully, are becoming uh, more and more the rule, um, you know, you're going to have people being willing to go back into the workforce as well. And, and, and women in particular who've comprised so much of the lost jobs. Yeah. I also think we need to start talking more about baby boomers that actually threw in the towel and said, that's it. OK, I'm going to retire now. And what that has meant just from a structural standpoint in terms of, especially when we're talking about labor force participation rate, uh, in terms of the folks that are willing and want to go back out into the workforce, too. Uh, and I'd also just note that maybe we're seeing some churn when you see construction jobs down 20,000 positions, retail also down 6,000. But we're going to get more in the market's response, specifically today's jobs numbers. Uh, right now with two guests, David Kelly, chief global strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and Michael Yoshikami, Destination Wealth Management founder and CEO. Happy Friday. Friday, or Jobs Friday to you both. Thanks for being with us this morning. Sure. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. I want to get your response to the numbers we saw this morning uh, and what that actually means for the market, which seems to be at least right now pre-market uh, responding from an equity standpoint pretty favorably. Well, bad news is good news. Um, my concern was we're going to have some blowout number and then there's going to be big concern about inflation, the Federal Reserve. The fact that things are coming back uh, more gradually, I think, is a positive for the economy. I think that's why you've seen the market bounce based on this news. Uh, And in my view, also gives additional uh, support for the uh, need for another stimulus package and an infrastructure bill that they're working on right now in Washington. So uh, I think it's all in all, while it may be the headline of a disappointing report versus expectations, I think it's actually a pretty good report. Uh, in terms of the market, because it it appears as if uh, these numbers support that we are having a reopening, but we're not going to perhaps have the screaming inflation that many are concerned about. Yeah, I want to dig into that stimulus piece of the conversation a little bit more, especially given the fact that we do know uh, there are ongoing infrastructure talks today uh, coming out of the White House as well. But uh, first, David, I want to get your thoughts on the numbers this morning, uh, since I know you were forecasting a much stronger number in terms of jobs added for the month of May. Well, that's right. And I think what this report really says is we've got a labor supply problem. I think it's a temporary one. But to me, the, the, the number that jumped out of this report is that the labor force actually fell by 53,000. Now, normally when you've got a recovering economy, uh, when you're you know, coming out of a pandemic, you would expect to see the labor force rise. So what's happening, I think, is a lot of people, because of you know, lingering pandemic concerns, perhaps, but also because of uh, unemployment benefits, aren't coming back into the labor market. And that is causing wages to go up. I mean, what we look at is actually year over the last two years. We try and take out the extraordinary distortions from a year ago. But over the last two years, the average hourly earnings of all workers have gone up by 8.8%. So that's 4.4% annualized. And that's about the strongest we've seen at any time, certainly in the last 15 years. So we are seeing strong wage growth. And I think that is more, that, that'll stick. Um, so I think even as some of these distortions in the labor market ease over the rest of this, this year, the fact that businesses now have to pay up for, for labor, I think that will feed through to somewhat higher permanent inflation, not just the transitory inflation that the Federal Reserve talks about so much. Michael, I wanted to get you on, on a couple of different things. One is the uh, those who have been unemployed for 27 weeks or more, we are actually starting to see some some good improvement. I wonder what you think that means for the longer term. 
And then this, this, this optimistic notion that people have the option now to be a little bit more choosy about the job they take. They, some believe that that means less job churn down the road, better job matching, uh, which is, in the end, an efficiency for the economy. You go along with that? Uh, I think that's just noise at this point. I think it's really just a transition off of unemployment benefits as the economy still reopens. Uh, here in California, there's still lots of debate whether or not you should have masks or not masks. And uh, certainly employers are watching that information very carefully um, regarding the regulations. Cal OSHA, for example, um, really is very torn whether even if you're vaccinated, whether you should wear a mask indoors or not indoors. So in the United, in the United States, certainly um, there is a wider opening, I think, that is leading towards people reentering the workforce. Uh, in California, which obviously a very populous state, um, there's still a lot of concern and a lot of um, um, confusion about what this is going to mean. So I think for employees, uh, for particularly those who are very nervous about the COVID situation, they're just really, really uncertain. Um, Apple, for example, announced they're going to have people back in the office three days a week. Uh, and I know that's created some um, concern uh, for employees of Apple. So uh, it, it's really hard to say. I think I think David's very much correct. There's a lot there's a lot of sort of anomalies and churn that's happening right now. But I think long term, uh, the trend is moving up. Wage growth looks pretty good, and I think eventually we're going to recapture many of the jobs that were lost during the pandemic. So, David, what does that mean in terms of where investors should be putting their money to work right now, especially as we see something of a middling movement for the broader market? But then you do have these pockets of yeah. fervent trading, for example. AMC, which we've been talking about all week. Yeah, I, th I think people should try not to look at some of these meme stocks and, and all the distractions here. The message that I think people are missing here is that inflation is building. And there is no excuse for the 10-year Treasury yield to be at 160 today. We've got oil at $70 a barrel. We've got all these pressures where businesses are having to pay up for labor. And I actually like to see businesses having to pay up for labor. But mm. that is inflationary. And I think what, what that suggests is that by the end of the year, long-term interest rates will be a good deal higher. And that also helps value over growth. Uh, probably, you know, I'd still be in favor of international over domestic and be very careful about high P.E. stocks. Be careful about valuations because you can have any old valuation when interest rates are zero. But when interest rates get pushed up, that's when valuations really count. Michael, I'll put the same question to you. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, I'm, I'm a little less optimistic about international. I still think the U.S., uh, more established economies are, are probably the place to be, in, in my view. And I do believe that valuations are going to be a huge deal. I mean, we have, uh, as you mentioned, the meme stops. I, I, these are more mechanical issues happening in the market regarding short sellers. But uh, I think that having value in your portfolio is going to make sense. I think you're going to want to have income-oriented assets that maybe are not so impacted by interest rates when inflation does tick higher. Um, so I think the, the market is set up right now for opportunities for investors as long as you're watching valuations because valuations will matter. That's why tech has gone down when inflation fears um, are high. And so uh, investors can't be complacent and not look at valuation because it is going to matter in the portfolio. It will eventually. It just takes time. Okay. Really quickly, Michael, just to dig into that for a second here. I mean, AMC and GameStop, we're going to talk about that more in just a moment, actually. Um, David and Michael, thank you for kicking off the hour with us. David Faber, right. I'm going to go to you on AMC. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. What would a week be or a show be without us getting to AMC, you ask? Well, we will, of course, as you can see. Uh, we're waiting for an open. Stock looks to be more or less flat. This after what were fairly large losses yesterday, of course, following the movie theater's operator's second share sale in a week. CEO Adam Aaron actually trying to uh, gain support for a plan to issue another 25 million shares. Remember, they basically reached their full authorization there are around 520 million shares. That's all they can issue. Last night, he sat down with Trey Collins, the owner of the Trey's Trades channel on YouTube. Take a listen. If you arm us with a tool to go find value-creating opportunities for AMC showers, we can do that. If we're not armed with this tool, then you're tying our hands behind our back, and you'll make it just that much harder for us to uh, land some of these attractive opportunities that benefit us all. Attractive opportunities are the ability to continue to sell stock into a market that's willing to value this company at some 25-plus billion-dollar equity value. Uh, and, yeah, uh, Adam Aaron wants to just sell as much as he possibly can because in doing so, you have the opportunity to significantly reduce their debt load. I mean, they've already raised, I think, what is it, almost $3 billion at this point since... You know, this all began. Um, they still have, I think, what's around four billion of net debt. Remember, you got to take out cash. But in five years time or, or less, they got a lot of debt coming due at the company. And don't forget, of course, Morgan, the most important thing is they you were talking about this before we started the show. Hundred million shares a year ago of this company. Now they're five hundred and twenty million. Usually your stock goes down when you issue an additional 420 million shares or roughly four times the actual number of shares you had. Not in this case. This has been such an interesting week, of course, with Mudrick Capital and that, that sale where they were basically buying stock and selling it very quickly. But Mudrick, as I pointed out, was really involved in the debt side. And I can't tell you at this point, they're, uh, from what I'm hearing, they're entirely out, Mudrick. They, they don't own any stock, which they didn't own for very long. But more importantly, where they really were playing and created a lot of value for their fund holders were the debt securities. They were the first one to really, uh, this first lien debt where they took $100 million at a 15% coupon. Now they're out entirely um, at Mudrick. So they're no longer part of this story, mm. but the story goes on. Yeah, it does. And I mean, just to go back to the conversation we were just having with our market guests, I mean, we're talking about companies that are loftily valued right now. And we can talk about the fervent nature of the trading and the speculation and uh, the role it was just mentioned uh, about the shorts in here and how much that's actually Im impacting the dynamic and, and uh, et cetera. But these are also companies, whether it's AMC or GameStop that we're talking about, that still exist in the Russell 2000 value index. They started getting bought into because they were looked at as value plays on the retail side. So I think that also speaks to this dynamic around value trading and how that is changing, Carl. Uh, it's true. And AMC alone, guys, as a percentage of overall NYSE volume this week is, is mind-blowing, to say the least. David, we're definitely yeah. in a mode now where the street's just giving up. Uh, Webbush yeah. today raises their target on AMC to seven dollars and fifty cents from mm -hmm. six fifty. They say mm -hmm. they could envision as high as ten, yep. uh, depending on how they uh, reduce their debt and create some opportunities. Uh, I see B of A today uh, stops coverage of Bed Bath and GameStop, saying, "Don't listen to anything we've said about it." They have stopped trading on the fundamentals. Yeah, so I mean, this was a, yeah. a real morning where the street just shrugged their, just shrugged their shoulders. And listen, to be fair, Adam Aaron in that in that release yesterday when they sold shares said similar things in terms mm -hmm. of don't rely on you know this current stock price to be anything near what it where it is. 
Uh, yeah, it does not allow itself to be subjected to traditional securities analysis, I think it's fair to say. If you want to share that, I mean, here's some of the numbers, right? I think their peak operating cash flow was 900 million bucks. That was at peak revenue. Now, they've taken some costs out, maybe as much as 300 million bucks out. So if they were ever to hit that peak revenue number again, you could argue they might even have as much as 1.2 billion in operating cash flow. But, Carl, that's a key question because of all the changes in behavior that have gone on. So how many people really will go to a movie theater? Meanwhile, even if they were to get back to 900 million in operating cash flow, what's it, a six to eight multiple? It's still a declining business. You can figure out what that's worth a lot less than the current stock price. But to your point, none of that seems to matter right now. Yeah, not, not today. Uh, guys, we'll take a break. There's a ton to get to. We'll continue to obviously dive into the jobs number. If you're just joining us, 559,000 below consensus. Oil uh, getting close to 70 as the dollar is down on that jobs number. We're back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. All right, welcome back. We've got uh, a very complex deal to try to work through this morning uh, that may or still may not happen. I'm referring here to Pershing Square Tontine Holdings, PSTH. Remember, of course, the largest SPAC that was out there. And remember, it was issued at 20, not 10, uh, raising an enormous amount of money uh, for Bill Ackman, who, who's the sponsor. And we've all been wondering, or many of us who follow these things, what would he target? Because given the size, it had to be a very large potential business. And then we've gotten this potential deal that is not a SPAC deal um, it, at all. And it's incredibly complex. Uh, I'll try and explain some of it to you because here's the basics. Uh, they're they're going to acquire 10 percent of Universal Music. Now, Universal at, at a $42 billion valuation, which is well above where Tencent bought their stake. Universal Music Group is going to list on the Amsterdam Exchange. So once it does, those shares are going to be distributed to holders of the SPAC. That would be later this year. This is not a SPAC deal. Um, is the easiest way for me to say it. It is a purchase by this entity of uh, the stake in Universal uh, Music um, that then is going to be distributed to the holders, and the SPAC will live on. But, of course, because Mr. Ackman, I guess, needs to just show all of us how incredibly smart he is. I don't know. I called him. I called you, Bill. I don't know if you're going to return the call to try and explain some of this to me. But uh, they're going to create this thing called a SPARK, 
So you hadn't lost the thread there. Yeah, the spark is not a SPAC, but you're going to basically get <laughs> you're going to. You're going to get the hedge fund, Ackman's hedge fund, going 29% of the spark. They're calling it a special purpose rights company. Um, and SPAC investors are going to receive a stake in the new spark, which won't have a time limit to do a deal, but will use the capital that was left in the SPAC and potentially new capital to pursue a new transaction. Following any of that? I guess the real question from my perspective, Morgan, is simply why? Um, in some ways, the $4 billion purchase here, $4.2 billion, given where I think the valuation for UMG is coming in, is similar to what would have been if you'd formed a special purpose vehicle and said, I want to you know, use, raise money to invest at this valuation that I feel is very uh, favorable. Um, it's not being well received yet in the marketplace no. by those SPAC holders who are, I'm sure, like me and many others, are simply trying to understand fully exactly what's going on here, given all the different permutations. Do you think this is reflective and again, this actually goes back to the whole meme stock discussion we're having, but reflective of how much money is out there in the market chasing such a finite number of assets right now. Yeah, I mean, I think part of this was always the question was, what can he possibly really do a traditional SPAC merger with in terms of a company would have to be one yeah. of the larger companies out there, given how big the SPAC was, how much capital was raised. Now, to be fair, by the way, Mr. Ackman, his... Um, uh, his compensation and, and things associated with this original SPAC were much more favorable to shareholders than your typical SPAC mm-hmm. arrangement. Now, I don't know where it all stands. I mean, the warrants go away. Uh, you know, uh, what else can I tell you? Yeah, the d- d- due diligence is done, but the warrants go away. Uh, your exchange ratio. Uh, you know what, Carl? I'm not even going to go there any further than this. We'll come back to it <laughs> numerous times. We'll see whether it happens. I guess the winner here, at least from my perspective, it's got to be Vivendi. They got a great valuation mm. on United uh, Universal Music Group, which, of course, they control. Yeah. When, when something uh, it, it puzzles you to some degree, David, you know it's you know it's confusing. Uh, we'll take a break here. When we come back, a White House reaction to the jobs number today. We'll talk to the Labor Secretary Marty Walsh a little bit later on as we await word from the President as well on the jobs number. Take another look at futures and a Friday edition of Squawk on the Streets. Back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Jobs number wasn't up to consensus, but futures uh, seem to agree that it's going to make whatever the Fed's next move is a gradual one. Uh, We are definitely in the green. Lots of other news to watch, including AMC and a nice upgrade of Wells. New street high for Ford. We'll get to all of that with the opening bell in about five minutes. Bitcoin's moving lower this morning. And once again, we are asking ourselves if it's the Elon Musk effect. Last night, he tweets a Bitcoin hashtag with a broken heart emoji, along with a meme about a couple breaking up, referencing lyrics from a Linkin Park song with the line, so in the end, it didn't even matter. David, um, we are definitely on the outer edges of trying to read whatever Musk is trying to communicate through these memes. Yeah, I, I, well, you, as you know, I gave up long ago. I'll turn to my younger and savvier <laughs> colleague here. Perhaps she has a, 
better idea. Uh, I, my question about this is every time he tweets about something like Bitcoin, is this material? Is this material to Tesla since he's got one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin on the Tesla books? Um, it goes back to the whole debate we've had about CEOs, Musk being sort of at the helm of what could potentially be a trend, um, tweeting, sort of turning to the masses directly uh, to talk about their companies. Um, that being said, I, I also wonder if the fact that the Biden administration also said last night that they're going to be investigating Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in conjunction with ransomware uh, and some of the hacks we've seen, whether that's also pressuring cryptocurrency market today, Carl. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, Tesla has had not, I would argue, material headlines, but certainly net negative. There was this piece in the information last night, uh, David, that orders in China have been cut in half uh, month to month from April to May. Uh, there was uh, some discussion about the recalls. They've had about three recalls this week alone, not large numbers, uh, but again, raising uh, worries about uh, quality control. And then the street is definitely paying attention, David, to the competition that's coming from GM and Ford. Uh, City goes to 73 on GM this morning. And uh, JP Morgan puts a new street high on Ford as we got uh, that F-150 Lightning uh, not too long ago. Guys, there's the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange. Monday, David, is going to be a big day because you, Jim, and I will be back at the NYSC so for the I. first time it says here in 15 months. Yes, and Morgan will be there as well. For the 10 o'clock uh, hour. For the 10 o'clock hour. And Carl, I've been working on our seating. You can see it there. I think they put the chairs closer together. It's been a struggle. Good. But uh, I think we're going to be back <laughs> almost to normal operation in terms of even being near, somewhat near each other. But we will be at that desk on Monday morning. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, in particular to seeing you, my friend, in person yes. once again every single day. I know Jim's excited about it. And, and in, in a larger context, David, I think it's important, you know, closing bell is back, which we're glad to see squawks back together. But the banks are going to be using June to bring people back as well. So I think it's a collective statement about what is going to happen, what probably needs to happen in New York City. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yet it's funny when when you when we were doing the interview on the jobs report, um, one of the, the gentlemen pointed out Apple. I mean, there are still corporations Carl, that are not comfortable with the idea or, or, and or feel as though it actually is beneficial to their workforce to only say two, three days a week is what we expect you to be in. Uh, you know, and how much of that will remain the norm, I think, is a key question. But to your point, particularly in New York, well, you know, you've got a lot of uh, financial services related firms, not just the big ones, but smaller ones as well. Uh, many of them do expect to have uh, most of their employees at least back on a full time basis in the office. As the summer moves along, Morgan, and then eventually by September, it becomes that conversation is what I've heard from many of the bosses, so to speak, that says, if you're not going to be coming back, maybe we just don't view our culture the same way. Uh, and mm. it's not as important to you. And maybe you should be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's certainly an evolving situation. And we're having it, as we've seen, just a robust rollout of vaccinations in this country. I think it's something like more than 63% of adult Americans now have at least one shot in their arms. So it speaks to how quickly we're moving towards herd immunity and these reopening efforts. I mean, in New York City in the summertime is usually when everybody clears out. And instead, I think there's this anticipation, to your point, that 
at least for June, it's actually going to be busier than we've seen in quite some time. Yeah. Listen, I mean, Carl, I don't know if I've been in Midtown a bunch and it's definitely there are real people walking around in suits again. So that, just watching that. And that's only been the last few weeks. I think I've noticed that uptick, a lot more activity on the streets and even uh, some of the restaurants. So that's good to see. And then, Carl, we've got AMC. It's kind of like remember those <laughs> remember those weeks where we we talk about anything and we just watch GameStop shares. I guess we're back to that in some way. Yep, this is this is when the control room dictates what we talk about just by putting the chart up. Uh, we're definitely going to watch uh, AMC today. Uh, although I I hope they make some room for a Disney chart, David, because we got Loki coming next week, uh, Avengers Campus at Disneyland, and now this news about Iger uh, selling shares and and lots of speculation about his intentions on Squawk earlier this morning. Yeah, I don't know what that means exactly about his intentions. I mean, he's, you know, Bob had an incredibly, maybe one of the most successful tenures as a CEO. I obviously, as you guys know, report so often on mergers and acquisitions. And I mean, you know, what he did to transform that company through M&A and many other things uh, will be in textbooks. And then the pivot to direct to consumer. But it's not a secret that he's leaving. Uh, And at the end of the year, he will try and find something else to do. And I don't think he's going to have any shortage of potential opportunities. He's not going to run another company. Um, And, you know, do you want one of those vice chairman roles where you sort of basically, you know, they put your name up and it helps in some way, but you're not really active? I don't know that that's the right fit for Mr. Iger, who I think wants to stay actually actively involved in whatever it is he does become involved with. But I think he's trying to figure it out. Like so many people are of a certain age, you try and figure out where you're headed after an incredible career. And but no surprise in some ways that he'd, he'd also be potentially selling some stock. Yeah, I want to go back to I'm going to go back to the meme stock mania for a moment because we've been talking about AMC, but there are a number of companies that have actually been ripping this week. Uh, Sundial Growers, which is up another four percent again today. It's up week to date, 38 percent. Bed Bath and Beyond, we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Of course, that company actually had news this week. It's up two percent. It's actually only up 15 percent for the week, though, despite some of the crazy moves we've seen in that name. Workhorse, Blackberry. GameStop, which is the one that we go back to thanks to January and what we saw happen there. Costs Corporation as well. Another name that I keep an eye on, Virgin Galactic Space, which uh, has also been a meme and a Reddit favorite, uh, if you will, although that one has actually come off somewhat. Um, But, you know, David, just to go back to the whole work from home dynamic and discussion, it's probably also worth noting that in that very long uh, interview with Adam Aaron from AMC last night, there there was a moment that I think many of well, maybe not many of us that have worked from home, but some that have worked from home have perhaps experienced before when they're dressed for business on top and maybe not so much on the bottom. Make sure that our long-term future is very bright. And right now, we don't have that. Uh, we don't have that tool at our disposal. Uh, now we know something we didn't yeah. know before, and I'm not sure we <laughs> want to know it. But uh, no. yeah. Um, well, listen. Anything, to any, whatever it takes to get that 25 million dollar authorization, he's ready. I'm actually surprised that that kind of flew below the radar. I yeah. mean, <laughs> in terms of the coverage, Carl. I don't know, Carl. Uh, you know, we did plenty at home. I, I always felt like I needed to be fully dressed, fully dressed. Yeah, uh, I mean it's um, it's it's the it's the work, <laughs> it's, it's the work at home environment, and it's real. It's real. Actually, uh, on a serious note, guys, yeah. B of A does mention today that even though we're talking AMC, 
It's been GameStop that has seen the, lar the, the largest short-term uh, gains and volatility of all the meme stocks this year. Uh, it's AMC's week, obviously, but GameStop uh, pretty much has owned 21 uh, so far. Uh, in the meantime, the jobs number, as you know, 559,000 in May, uh, less than the estimate of 671,000. Unemployment down to 5.8 from 6.1. Uh, with more on this, let's bring in the U.S. Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. Happy Friday. It's good to see you again. Happy Friday. Thank you for having me today. So the, the general read on the street is, you know, we were looking for a number that would be uh, conclusive in some ways. And uh, a lot of people are still looking for what this is telling us about progress. Why did the labor force participation rate come down a touch? What has it told you? I mean, what it's telling us is that President Biden's economic plan is working. Uh, we've added over 540,000 jobs over the last four months and since the president has been in office. Uh, it shows that unemployment rate came down this month, but we still have a ways to go. I mean, there's no question about it. We're, we're recovering from a pandemic, and, you know, it'd be great when we shut down the economy, basically, because of the pandemic. Uh, you can't just slip a switch and get it back on, but there's a lot of good signs. We're seeing the largest job growth in leisure and hospitality. We saw it in education and public education. So those are, those are great signs, and as we continue to move forward, forward here, uh, we hopefully will continue to see these gains. Last month when we talked, uh, you did not believe that the employment supplemental uh, was a factor in delaying people's return to work. We've had some states now stop it on their own. Do you think the progress month on month is related to that? Well, I think you're seeing in this month, as I said, in the hospitality industry, which includes restaurant and bars, uh, that's one of the biggest uh, was one of the biggest concerns people had. People weren't going into those industries. That's what we saw the gain. And I think as we continue to move forward here over the course of the next couple of months, we'll get more and more people back into work, back into the economy, uh, and that's going to be important for us moving forward. You know, in the UI benefit, I mean, that was there. Thank God it was there because people were able to keep a roof over their head and keep food on the table during during the pandemic. And, and we're getting, you know, we're starting to see. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel getting larger, thank God, and, and hopefully we'll continue to move down that road. Yeah, I'm curious, though, how you see that road going. I mean, at this point, it's not that many weeks away till the till some of the benefits start to expire. As Carl pointed out, uh, in, in certain states, it's you know, they're not getting the supplemental as well. Uh, so you expect, expect the next job res jobs report to reflect more people looking for work yet again? Well, it would be great to see that, obviously. I, I don't want to uh, speculate or make any predictions today because it's a month away. Uh, but, but when we look at the, the hospitality industry, leisure industry, tourism industry that, that has been hit the probably one of the hardest, uh, we, we've seen significant gains now from last month to this month. And as we get into the, the warmer months and the summer months where people travel, uh, we'll s hopefully continue to see those gains happening. Uh, and I think that hopefully the dependence on unemployment goes away and we'll have fewer and fewer people looking um, to, 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 to be on unemployment. We saw the lowest drop in unemployment claims last week, which is a great sign as well. So, you know, there are good positive signs here. I, I don't want to be, uh, I, I don't think it's uh, doom and gloom or, or, or trying to sugarcoat anything. This is, this is a good, solid report moving forward, and we just need to continue to make gains like this, like we did today. Yeah, this, well, I would, month, I would assume you're also encouraged by, uh, you know, what has been fairly significant wage growth, particularly in hospitality and leisure. Uh, although in our world, uh, Mr. Secretary, of course, that always leads to concerns about inflation. I don't know if you have those conversations uh, in the offices that you're in, but we certainly do over here. Do you have any? Yeah, no, we certainly keep an eye on all that. We had a conversation this morning, so we're, we're watching that very closely uh, with inflation is, is to see what the impacts of, of the wage increases are. Uh, but, but, you know, and we're, we're going to continue to monitor that closely as we move forward here. Uh, and, and, and in some cases where we can make adjustments, make adjustments.
Yeah, Mr. Secretary, it's Morgan. Just to dig into that a little bit further, I mean, we have average hourly earnings up half a percent versus the prior month, stronger than expected, at least from a street standpoint. You factor that in when the, with the NFIB saying record high number of U.S. small businesses that can't fill job openings right now. Is there really a need to actually increase the federal minimum wage? No, there definitely is. I think increased wages is important for, for the American people. It's important for the worker. It's going to be important for the economy. It will allow people to spend more money in the economy. Uh, and I think that, you know, we, what I don't want to see is, is taking wages backwards. I think it's important. The president's message is about creating opportunities into the middle class and creating opportunities and getting into the middle class means better wages for people. Where are we in terms of the infrastructure talks right now? There's a lot of reports coming out about uh, negotiations around what the corporate tax rate is going to look like, uh, what the final number is going to be. Where, where do we stand? Well, you know, this is a very fluid conversation. As you saw, you guys reported yesterday, uh, the president had some very uh, important conversations uh, with leaders in, in the Senate to talk about what, what that plan looks like. Uh, it's still a very fluid plan. We're all negotiating. We're all talking to different people. I've been around the country talking about the American Jobs Plan. Uh, I've been talking to members of Congress, members of the Senate. Other people have been doing the same thing. So I think it's it, it, the very the important part here that it's actually a negotiation. It's a conversation. And we're having all, all people at the conversation now. This is not about not having people at the table. And I think from the very beginning, when the president talked about this, he was talking about hoping having a bill that's a bipartisan bill that can move forward. And, and that's, you know, again, I don't know what the end result will be, but right now these conversations are happening and that's important. Um, you know, the, the, the job sprint always has lots of noise. You mentioned the restaurant factor, which was a big one uh, this month. People still scratching their heads about construction down 20. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, we're always dealing with seasonality and weather, but is there a good explanation for that? Well, you know, we had that conversation today as well, and from somebody who came out of the construction industry, I think some of it could be on material and supplies, too, because during the pandemic, a lot of construction, in some places, we stopped it in Boston for about six weeks, uh, in some places, slowed down. So I think now that as, we, as the summer months are coming, construction is ramping up, uh, this, this, this cutback in, in jobs was not a result of small homes. It was a result of bigger projects. So a lot of it could be, we still have to dive deeper into the numbers, but I think it could be into materials and getting materials on job sites. So um, finally, like when I, when in terms I, when of I say, getting when, people... When, sorry, when I say materials, I mean material like, like construction materials on job sites, not, not workers. The workers are available. <laughs> construction. Yeah. Yeah, we, we know exactly what you're talking about, uh, having our eyes on the lumber market and so forth uh, the last yeah. few weeks. Uh, finally, on just on wages, um, the fear, as David pointed out, is that the longer we go on uh, with uh, wages rising month on month like this print shows, uh, that the, the Fed's going to have a tougher job arguing that these inflation uh, metrics are transitory. I know that's not your bailiwick, but I, I guess I wonder what you would tell the street uh, as they try to gain that out. Well, I guess before we go there, I mean, we've had, we've had from, to my, if I remember correctly, we've had one month that shows wage increases. So I want to see, let, let's see what we do in the next couple of months here as we move forward here. If this is a one-time uh, event or is this going to continue on as we recover from the pandemic? Mr. Secretary, it's another, uh, it's another interesting report, lots to chew on, and we appreciate your insight as well. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Th thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Well, let's get to Rick Santelli now for a bond report on this Jobs Friday. Rick. Thanks, Morgan. Indeed. You know, bringing out the numbers, uh, the wages were a huge component. Those are big numbers. And yes, transient is not a word typically applied to wage 
uh, area, most likely these things are going to be sticky, sticky, sticky. Let's look at the markets. Now, if you look at an intraday, a very focused intraday of 10-year note yields, you'll see we started to drop in yield before the number. Right on the number, volatility spiked up, and we trade all the way up to 162+. plus. Then we just drifted after the number, and here we sit at 159, down on the day, down on the week. Uh, but all roads lead to 160, as the two-week chart shows. And even if we were to do a bigger chart for the last couple of months, you'd see that it seems that at 160, 161, if you had to pick a high-frequency area in 10-year note yields, that's home base. Now, as far as the other big moves on this non-farm Friday, it's all about currencies, and all of it is kind of against the greenback. Let's look at an intraday of the pound versus the dollar. You can see the dollar dropping there. Dollar versus yen. Yen soaring after the number. Euro versus dollar. Euro soaring after the number. And now, to summarize this, let's put a two-day of the dollar index, because they had a nice day yesterday. We've taken away a good chunk of yesterday. As a matter of fact, we're now barely up on the week. And the reason this is so important is it just has all the earmarks that much of the buying that we saw yesterday was most likely short covering and watching how it behaved after non-farm payrolls. Most of that short covering is probably nervousness regarding riding a big position into today's number. Carl, back to you. That's exactly on point, Rick. Uh, thanks so much, Rick Santelli. Speaking of all of that, still to come, an exclusive with Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester. We'll get her take on the jobs number, the recovery, and a lot more. As Rick pointed out, uh, some of these numbers have swung around a bit. We're back to 42.20 on the S&P, and the Dow's up 123. Well, on this last day of the trading week, major averages are higher. So is... AMC Entertainment, it's up about 1% right now. Keep in mind, though, after more than doubling last week, the stock is on pace right now at the current levels to do so. Again, it's up just about 100% on the week. We're going to keep our eyes on this and so many other movers in the market, so stay with us. The SALT tax is quietly redrawing the map of wealth in America. Robert Frank is an expert in that. And he joins us with some details, Robert. And David, you know I love talking about your favorite part of the tax code. It's that $10,000 cap on state and local tax deductions because it is, in fact, changing the map of American wealth. A study by Joseph Briggs at Goldman Sachs found that the SALT cap created an effective tax hike of over four percentage points for high earners in New York and California and up to 12 percentage points compared to states with no income taxes. That larger gap is why over 5% of the highest earning households and over 6,000 households earning more than a million dollars left New York after SALT. Now that wealth flight causing a decline in tax revenue of about 1% in high tax states at least before the pandemic but it is likely about to get worse because of the recent tax hikes in New York and New Jersey. Goldman estimates that wealth flight could actually reduce revenues from those tax hikes by more than 30 percent, perhaps erase them altogether once the stimulus wears off. The report says we expect the tax hikes will meaningfully increase emigration from New York which will in turn reduce the almost $3 billion in revenue that they had projected. Goldman not expecting a SALT repeal, 
but says a possible increase in the salt cap, maybe to $50,000, is more likely that would still do little to stem the tide of these high earners to places like Florida and Texas. Guys? Yeah, that, that exodus is, is one that continues, Robert. And, of course, then it goes to the larger issue of whether uh, companies are going to have a, a, a better time recruiting people in those states as a result of the fact that people are moving there. And we'll see where it all ends up. But I guess the key question and the one that's been debated for years is by increasing taxes, do you drive people out and therefore it's revenue neutral? So what was the point of it to begin with? Exactly. And that was the most startling thing to me about this. Obviously, we knew anecdotally, you and I both know a lot of wealthy people left of Florida. But the fact that we just raised taxes in New York, they were hoping for four billion dollars a year in added revenue. Now it's sort of coming down to three and it could be half that. Again, what was the point, especially if you're hoping for a long term recovery of New York City and the state? Yeah, well, something we're watching closely and we know you are as well. Robert, thank you. Robert Frank. David, uh, before we uh, close out the hour, um, we haven't really gotten to some of the calls today, uh, although I hear music. Are we going to break? I thought we were going to cover. Uh, yeah, I thought we we're going to cover this Wells Fargo upgrade over at B of A, David. Uh, they go to buy and a price target of 60. Uh, they're looking for normalized uh, return on total capital in the mid teens. Talking about expense control, but bigger than that, David, uh, the notion that they are still among their peer group, the only bank that's not trading above the uh, pre-COVID high. So uh, going to 60 would be a double. They began the year at 30 and, of course, currently in the mid-40s. Yeah. I mean, Jim, if he were here, we'd talk about the possibility at least of CCAR and more return of capital from Wells Fargo. We've talked a great deal about the leadership there of Charlie Sharp. But it's been a great year for the stock, as you point out already, uh, Carl, uh, at that one. As we also take a look at autos this morning, Mm. uh, again, after that rally yesterday, Morgan, with both Ford and General Motors. General Motors, of course, on that much more uh, higher uh, guidance for the second half of this year. Yeah, and it, it, and it goes back to the conversation we've had about the outperformance of the more traditional, if you will, established auto players versus some of the newer names, like, for example, Tesla or even some of those EV plays uh, that have gone public, many of them via SPAC, uh, and many of which have actually sold off in recent weeks, Carl. Although, as B, as B of A pointed out, GM market cap, $90 billion. Ford, 63, Tesla, 550 billion, David, um, even after some of this move lower. So uh, it's still a a long way to go for those names to catch up to a market Mm. cap like Tesla's. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.